Hey everyone. If you didn't know, A Child Walks in the Dark is also a collection of poetry, and it is out and about and available from Harbor Editions as of now. So if you're liking the podcast, these fantastic conversations I've gotten to have with these folks, and you like the poems that end each episode, consider picking up a copy of the book. We can, all of us, I think, uh, use as much poetry in our lives as possible. Thank you. Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents in creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children, their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorship, their small towns and cities and hopes, their community and efforts to save and be safe. Each episode explores the role of a creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is Not Far Off, and our guest is Ira Sukrungrung. Ira Sukrungrung is the author of four nonfiction books, This Jade World, 2021, Buddha's Dog and Other Meditations, 2018, Southside Buddhist, 2014, and Talk Thai, The Adventures of Buddhist Boy, 2010. The short story collection, The Melting Seasons, 2016, and the poetry collection, In Thailand, It Is Night, 2013. He is the recipient of the 2015 American Book Award for Southside Buddhist, a New York Foundation for the Arts Fellowship in Nonfiction Literature, an Arts and Letters Fellowship, and the Anita Claire Scharf Award in Poetry. His work has appeared in many literary journals, including The Rumpus, American Poetry Review, The Sun, and Creative Nonfiction. He is the president of Sweet, a literary confection, a literary nonprofit organization, and is the Richard L. Thomas Professor of Creative Writing at Kenyon College. Now, Darren and Ira Sukrungrung. Uh, and as promised today, our guest is uh, essayist, fictioneer, uh, uh, teacher at uh, college where I, I grew up at Kenyon at this point. Uh, and for the purposes of our conversation today, also a parent, Ira Sukrungrung. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. This has been um, a, a steady stream of, of writers that I'm incredibly jealous of their talent and um you are definitely one and i was very happy to hear you read the one time and to get the new book uh which was incredible uh but getting to talk to folks like you and uh last week it was philip metris and, and people whose intellects are uh beyond my own i'm i'm intrigued uh always to hear people who uh think and write with their whole hearts the way that you folks do uh, and and hear uh, how you think uh, about parenting and things like that. Um, and our our topic today, the the title of the episode is not far off. And the the poem that inspired it was originally written about gun violence um, and sort of how to explain things to children. Um, 
as I was thinking through the topic even more so this week, um, I think the biggest challenge is explaining authority, even, even, even more so than violence to our children. Um, and there is so much wrapped into privilege and race and danger and violence and all those things. When, when you talk to your son about these topics, how, how do you approach it? I know he's still young, um, but it's still present. They still have the drills at school. They still have, if he gets lost, you want him to be able to speak to a person of authority. How do you go about explaining this to him? Uh, I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest with you. I think, you know, one of the things about being a parent, uh, as soon as I, I learned the news of his um, coming, right, uh, I had I had a, and I still am having an existential crisis about every facet of life, violence, masculinity, all these things. I think one of the things that went through my head when, when uh, my wife said we were having a child, and this is before we knew what gender the child was going to be, was, um, you know, if this child ends up to be a girl, uh, how do I protect her from our world of violent men? And if this child is a boy, how do I raise, you know, uh, a man who will not become violent, right? And, and so these issues that I, are constantly, constantly playing in my head. And it's an issue of, he is, he is currently right now five, and, you know, he's in school, he's beginning to learn the world the way kids do when they're exposed to larger communities. So, um, you know, I'm kind of easing into having conversations about physicality, body, right, um, and violence, because I think one of the things that, you know, that as a parent you, you're kind of exposed to is that, and I think that you can't really kind of stop. I don't think my parents stopped it, they could have stopped it either. It's just American culture and that what, what, what that brings in, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think more so now uh, where he, you know, he's a five-year-old and he's on YouTube, right? And he's watching his shows and, and I monitor the shows pretty closely. Um, but, you know, some of them have, you know, they'll talk about issues of, you know, death and killing and shooting, right? Um, these are issues that I'm always wrestling with. I, I, did, I do think I, um, I messed up a couple days ago. <laughs> uh, How's that? And I think this, oh, man. So, so the thing that I do with my, my son is that we, we read a couple of picture books um, at night. He still sleeps in the bed with me and my wife. And then for him to go to sleep, he always says, okay, can you read me two picture books? And then you can read your adult book, right? I'm like, all right. So it's been great, actually. It's been wonderful. I've been doing so much reading. Ends up him, he falling asleep, and then I'm reading, you know, me reading to my wife for like an extra two hours or something. Well, the book we were reading was, uh, was the Orphan, Son, uh, or Orphan Master's Son by Adam Johnson. It's a novel about North Korea. And... And he wanted to know what the book was about. My son is obsessed with North, uh, with Korea, South Korea. He's obsessed with the band BTS. He's obsessed with Taekwondo, right? He watches, you know, Taekwondo um, acrobats on YouTube all the time. And so he had no clue there was a division between North and South Korea. Um, and so I began to talk to him about, about war, right? And 
about the Korean War and how how devastating that was and the loss of life and and, and so we just um, and I think my wife is like okay I think we should probably stop now like okay and then I began reading the novel and the novel is it's it's a scary novel right um, but sometimes I don't think he listens because he just falls asleep but he was listening this time. And there's just one part of the book where someone gets kidnapped and he's like, Daddy, can you stop? I'm a little scared. And I think um, that moment right there uh, shows two things. One, my fear as a father and how that fear sometimes wants me to tell him the things he needs to be careful of in the world, Um, like guns and, and hate. Right, um, but also wanting him to retain that that five year old boyhood wonder, curiosity, and joy. Right, and so I was caught between these two things as a parent. Right, um, we talk about guns quite a bit. Right, and you know um, he plays with the neighborhood kids who have Nerf guns. And I've already told him, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be, you you can go play with their guns at their house, right? But I'm not, you know, I'm not going to purchase Nerf guns for you. And these are the reasons, not yet. These are the reasons why. So we we talk about it. And he understands, right? You know, um, why he he really understands that. But it is something that that I wanted to, because I know as a boy, I don't know if you had, and I feel like most boys do. Like guns is like the first cool toy we see, you know, in a week. You, you and I, we were of the age of the Nerf guns and really? all of a sudden, and they kept souping them up. They kept yeah. fire more and more arrows and more and more things like that. And that's our, my son, Thomas, who's nine. I've got a uh, younger daughter, older daughter and middle child's Thomas. And um, we've had the same rule. You're playing at your friend's house and they have these toys don't make them feel bad about having the toys, but not at our house. Yeah, yeah. And he, um, he understands. And you know, I, yeah, I think we're. we're I, I remember um, when laser tag first happened, right? And and how obsessed I was with that, and how I, my friend and I would run around all over Chicago playing laser tag, and then I would remember, of course, the the accident, you know, the the shooting, you know, where the police officer shot shot a boy because he mistakenly thought it was a real gun. Right? Yeah. And so I mean, these, uh, these are always, you know, for me, as, you know, I'm always wary um, about it, right? Uh, about how much I tell him, how much I inform him, you know, and then also trying to have him enjoy his, his childhood as best as he can. Mm-hmm. I think the thing I started to th- think about most when I found out I was going to have a son because it is it is a different setup it's a different mind frame as you're preparing um and as I was thinking through my own growing up um and the father that I had and the coaches that I had playing sports and thinking about masculinity uh how aggressive it was how angry it was um how some of those men really just wanted oxygen for themselves and not for you um, and as you, you know, go into, I played high school sports and college and, um, those, those were people that were not going to listen to you and would get louder and louder to drown you out. 
Um, whenever I was trying to speak to Thomas when he was younger, I made it a purposeful thing to get quiet. And if he couldn't hear me, then he needed to get quieter. Um, and that sort of really aggressive masculinity that was sort of, um, you know, when you're 13, 14, 15, you take on some of it because that's what you're being taught. And I carried some of it into when I was in college um, to my detriment, I think. Um, uh, and I think I had a lot of trouble and issues with that. And it's one of the things that, you know, as I moved into becoming a sober person after many years of drinking, it's one of those things that I think the, the loud part of it, the loud part of masculinity and all of the ways that I was shown um, uh, that because I didn't get angry, because I didn't get aggressive, that I was soft in some way, that I wasn't a man in some way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think you process that. And so when, when I knew I was going to have a son, I was much more in tuned with um, what my influence would be with how I would talk to him, with how I would try to present masculinity to him. Um, and I, I spent all my time thinking about that. And then it's the outside world um, that keeps up in the ante. I, you know, I, I figured out a way to be the kind of father I wanted to be and to be quiet and loving and affirming um, and to give him more oxygen uh, than I felt like I had growing up. But my kind of authority is not the kind of authority that he runs into outside the house. Uh, and it's difficult, you know, and after the last couple summers we had here in Ohio with the shootings in Columbus yeah. and all of those things revolving around the police. Um, I, I work at a library now on the east side of Columbus, where just next door to my library this past week, uh, uh, the police shot a man in front of a school. Um, how, how we reflect past our own masculinity as we try to teach a, a young person to become a grown-up, how do we get them to process authority in a way beyond us? It's, it's the biggest, it's the biggest thing I've been thinking about recently in terms of him. Um, if, if he gets, uh, you know, we live in Columbus. If someone steals something from him, do I want him to run immediately to the police? Do I want, how, how do we process that? How, I know your son is five, but have you had discussions with him about police and about some of their angles in terms of race and things like that? We've talked about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to me, it's, it's very close. This issue of police and, and, role in his life and our life is pretty close because his um his grandfather uh did was it was a person who trained police officers right and so um so we you know for i, I think my family has a a very different way of looking at police officers that's not to say to me like every time we i hear of you know, and these things I've, I've written about every time you hear another another um, black boy dying because of a uh, you know a police shooting, it doesn't rev me up. Um, but I think it, it, we we talk about it in ways that 
instills a sense of trust, mm. right? Mm. But also to also be wary of human nature, right? Mm. That that police are there if you get lost, you find someone, right, in mm. uniform, or like if you need help, find someone uniform. Police are there, but we also introduce from the human aspect of it, which is humans aren't all great. Right, and that includes those who are we're supposed to trust too. So we have these, you know, and these are harder conversations with the five-year-old to have. You have to be very subtle because he sees the world very. I mean, I think right now he sees the you know um, in very uh, definable ways, like good and bad. Right, that's why I think for me, where where he didn't, he couldn't, and I honestly I can't under I can't wrap my brain around. The conflict between North and South Korea, either. Like, I mean, it's right. Like, he couldn't understand. Like, it, I, I remember him saying, "Why isn't there love? Why isn't like, right?" And I, and, and I said, "Well, you know, you know, uh, you know, I love that you said that. You know, there should be love. Absolutely, you're right. Right, but, but the world, the world is good. You know, it's sometimes a very, a very difficult place. Right? Mm-hmm. So." He's beginning to learn. He's beginning to see these things too. And my job as a parent is to sometimes I feel like is to be a guide and someone who listens to him when he has questions. Um, someone where he, if if something happens and he sees something on the news, um, I think my first impulse is to try not to inform and form and form actually listen first and hear his observations of it mm-hmm. and then we engage in discussion i think so these are I mean, like, but these are these are you know you were talking about like how once you became a father you wanted to counteract the things that you have you were born with and it's the same mm-hmm. thing with me but what i've been also finding too is that you know, and I didn't, I mean, I, and I had not realized this until I did become a father, how much these um, toxic ideas of masculinity were secretly entrenched into my being, right? Um, and so there are times where I just, I, I feel like, you know, and I think every parent will say this, like, you just, you don't, you don't react the way you're supposed to, right? Um, you're quick to get you're quick to try to discipline, you're quick to whatever. Right? Yeah. Um, and that to me is, is was a, like that recognition for me when, when like a moment like that happens, it's like, man, like that, that's something that was really, I didn't, I had not recognized it in me at all, right? Until I had a kid. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where you can't, you can't be on your toes all the time. No. You want to you want to be proactive, you want to be protective, and you want to give them room to say those things out loud, to say the the lovely parts of how they perceive human nature should be, and how um, you want even those sometimes misperceptions, you want to allow those so that they can, you know, present you their full heart as, as they do. Um, but it, it's, it's difficult to always be ready and always be, you're never going to always be the best father you can be in each moment because you talked about the human element. 
end of the day, you're tired. <laughs> and oh man, absolutely. Yeah. I think COVID really, you know, like for me now it was and for for everyone, like suddenly, you know, you're working from home, your child's with you 24-7, right? Um that tired that your brain, everything, like everything, you know, mentally tired, physically tired. Um not that this is any excuse at all for, for sometimes the behavior of some certain parents, right? And what they get away with. But, but you, we, and parent, you know, what is it? I always, I, I see a, a therapist and we often talk about parenting and he's like, a parent's job is not to be great all the time. <laughs> it's impossible, right? A parent's job is just to be, to be good you know good enough <laughs> on some days right like uh or just okay um, and i kind of i kind of like that because i think for me i was really stressing out um during this time period where the world during the black lives um uh, demonstrations during another death during you know more like even even now with what's going on with ukraine right um i was carrying these burdens with me uh and then i had to really kind of take a step away from from these things so that I could adequately be of a clear sense of mind to raise my son. I had to step away from social media. Um, I had to step away from reading the news. I just had to step away because because it it colored my it it really painted my fear red. Um, and it made me so fearful of the world that I felt like couldn't let him go out no. right um and i that wouldn't be fair for him either right like you know so i mean these are these are the ongoing challenges that i think i'm having is there actually the challenge this is the thing that i currently write about most of the time all the time actually is this um what is it the fatherhood in the age of in the age of distrust right like we we, we live in a culture of complete distrust of each other well, and when you're when you're parenting and when you're actively parenting and trying to have conversations, things like that, you always try to be your best person, but you're always a whole person. And I think it is okay to make those mistakes uh, if and if and when they come across. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, I've apologized to my children. <laughs> And and sort of explained and not given excuses, but this is this is why I got upset, or this is why I didn't respond the way that I would have preferred to respond, oh, yeah. and and explain it and let them and let them see. Um, I think so often, and this is why I was excited about the topic of uh, not not specifically violence, but of authority when talking to you, is um, I think when you find ways to be protective and, but still relent the absolute authority part of it and to be like, you know what, buddy, or, you know what, guys, I made a mistake that time. I shouldn't have reacted this way. You were trying to talk to me or you were trying to explain to me something and I didn't have the patience. I didn't give you the room. Um, and so much of the best part of parenting is listening and, mm -hmm. and experiencing them in that way. And you know, at that time I was just talking and I wasn't even picking good words. I was just talking. Uh, it's, it's difficult. Oh, absolutely. 
But yeah, I've, I've done that several, lots of times. The apology where I'm like, I'm sorry, but I didn't, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean to be quick. Right? Um, they didn't really not listen to it. And we, and we talk, and, and I think it, it, it shows something that I believe is vital in our culture, which is, you know, we're allowed to show our, that we're vulnerable and that we make mistakes, right? I think a lot of times, especially among, well, among everyone now, especially among men, like this idea of vulnerability or this like, mm-hmm. idea of weakness or this idea of having to, having to do the right thing all the time um, is one-on-one is a tremendous pressure to be put on ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so that when we don't, um, it eats, eats at us, but what I want to show my son is like, no, we will make, we're not always going to be our best selves. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not, um, but it's, it's, it's how we understand it, how we see it, how we recognize it, and how we apologize for it and go on that will make us a better person, right? Like this, yes. that's the thing. And, well, it, and infall- I, infallibility is its own kind of aggression. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, absolutely. And this is the same thing with authority. I mean, like the sense of like, you know, I mean, we, for them, you know, for right now, we are the authority, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we can communicate our own kind of um, shortcomings at times, right? Uh, I think it's easier then to have these discussions about with our kids when, when they get into larger communities of authority that they're going to have to navigate, mm-hmm. right? What that's going to look like. One, I mean, I think one, one of the biggest fears, and you know, as a as, as a son of immigrants when I was growing up in Chicago, was that um, you respect authority and you treat them in a way that they they are important. like. And I think my mom taught me this so that I wouldn't. She said something like. I don't think they would treat me the same way. So you have to you have to be very mindful of what you say, how you say it. Right? Never don't challenge it. Yes, sir. Right? Do whatever. Um, and I remember being taught authority as fear. Right. Um, and. I don't, I don't think, I don't want my son to go into that idea of authority as fear. Um, so, but it is something that I know from my own kind of upbringing that was deeply ingrained and entrenched in me. Fear gets paid, paired with respect way too often. I think respect oh, yeah. is, I think respect is inherent. I think everyone is owed respect until they potentially lose that through behavior or speech or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think so often, especially as I'm thinking through being a, a young person, that, that, that was the pairing that, that was given to me was respect and fear went hand in hand because if you didn't treat respect um, as a sort of a multi-level system, then there was going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. Yep. You would be put into some sort of, in times danger right yeah. whatever danger that is right right and and I, and I think one of the reasons why uh and this is one of the only downsides to to the podcast format 
is as we're having this discussion, there are not pleasant looks on our faces most most of the time. No. The, well, and, and talking about especially parenting as the one of the best parts is opening doors for children. It's you can do this and do this and do this. And here are all the things in the world that are beautiful and joyful. And I don't want to have to close doors. I want to open as many doors as possible. But what we're talking about is figuring out the ways to gently close doors to protect them while not instilling aggression by not a sti- but not instilling fear and, and, and those sort of negative, but we, as the parents get scared right. with, the, with the violence, with the racism, with the hate, with all of these things that despite our largest in our children's eyes, we have very little control over. Um, Absolutely. Man, it's, it's hard shit. It is. It is hard shit. No. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so he was born about a couple weeks, uh, no, about a week and a half after the Pulse tragedy in Orlando, which was just like an hour away. We lived in Tampa at the time. And that that sent me spinning. And at that same time, I was reading uh, Between the World and Me by Tanya Copes, right? Where this is this lovely lyrical tome from a father to son right he's writing a letter to his son and i was reading it and and i was reading lines like you know i don't i'm going to tell you in this book like how the world is i'm not going to sugarcoat it for you right Uh, if you think the world is going to bend to you to to do whatever you you know you want you are sadly mistaken right and then there are moments where we were talking right now, where especially this idea of masculinity, of uh, Tennessee times, I'm like, you know, I didn't learn, I didn't know how to love you. Um, your mom had to teach me how to love you. Right? And, and then you talked about that kind of upbringing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and how he was raised and how, how Baltimore, right, um, was, was a hard place you know, for boys, you know, um, figuring out what, how to be men and, and, and act in the world uh, and in a place where, you know, someone was dying all the time, right? It was like, it was, so I was reading this book, The Pulse Tragedy Was Happening, my son was being born, I was reading it in the, <laughs> in the birthing room, right? The, you know, the, and um, I just kind of like, wow, like, man, this, you know, how, there, there isn't, you know, I, I think what Tiny C. Coach was saying, I was like, there isn't really a way to protect them. Right? The world will come in when the world comes in. You just have to prepare for it. It's not about protection at, 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 some, at, at, at a point, right? It's preparation. Right? Um, and I thought, yeah, that's, wow, like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, that instinct to protect, to shelter, to shield, it's always there. It'll always be there. Well, and when when we approach those those grand and challenging thoughts, they're difficult enough on their own. When your child is looking at you, right? It is it is a whole different level. I you know it's it intellect and a lithe mind and all those things are great. And you know what? They help you and I write some pretty good things sometimes, but they 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 don't. There's no bailing out of a, a parenting moment. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. sort of uh, 
thread that you pull on that takes you to the next interesting place. You just have to be there with them and experience the difficult. And I don't know. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, one of the things that I always think about though is that that is the his capability. And this is the thing. I think this of all the things that I fear. Um, it's 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 actually this. It's not what the world or well, how the world will happen unto him. It's not. It's not. It's not that. It's right now he. I think a lot, a lot of children have the capability to love, to forgive, to all these things, right? Like all these wonderful things, um, to experience joy in a way that you know we 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 will never have. I fear that more than anything. I feel I fear that at some point that's going to be lost, right? Um, that something's going to happen. That will take that away, and I think it's more than just growing up. Mm. Right? I think there's something that is, uh, you know, the world's going to happen to him regardless. But, but I, I fear the day where he's just going to just see happiness as as something that is unattainable. Well, and it's not it's not joy preempted by adulthood. It's joy ruined in some way. It's it's right. the ta- it's the taste of it changing. Well, and I wonder. I mean, this is also the is like because you know I think the, the older I get, <laughs> the grumpier I am, right? The more pessimistic I am, right? And and I keep um, there's a Scott Russell Sanders book that I, um, that, that I, I read. I don't remember this uh, the title right now, but it's, he goes on a road trip with his son, right? And 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 they have a, a human, the road trip was like to kind of repair things to like, you know. Um, but actually they had a humongous fight and, and the fight was centered on his son, young and still hopeful and just so irritated with his father who is so pessimistic, who is so, you know, like we have destroyed the world to, you know, to point of, you know, we can't get it back. We can't do anything. Everything is wrong, right? Our sins are too much. And a son, he says, but I still want, I still want to, I still want to live. I still want to be. And that was the center of the fight, right? Um, and I don't know, that that scene uh, in, in that book, it was relatively early in that memoir, really kind of stuck with me, right? You have two positions here. And you have the, the father who's fearful, uh, who's seen the world at his worst, who's, you know, and then you have a son who is born into a world. He sees, still sees hope, he sees a future, he sees possibility, right? But he's always, you know, it's, you know he's always a, you know, a world that is very, it's destructive, and he doesn't want to, you know. I, I, and I understand that as a, as a as a young kid, I absolutely understand it. But that's a conflict that I think for me, I, I often see. It's a gift. Myself. It's a gift they try to give back to us. It really is. It's. Right. I I can see you're worried. I can see you're upset. But this is a good place, and man, there's some there's some real guilt when you 
and I have at certain points. I mean, my oldest daughter is 12, um, where they try to give you that gift and you refuse it because you're just not in the mind frame to see it or experience it in that way. Um, and it's never because of something they've done. It's never because of something they've said. They are trying to give you back this thing and refusing it always. It's, it's bitter. It, it, it just, it's, it's hard. Yeah, it is. I don't know. I keep thinking about this. I keep thinking about the things um, in our childhood that, that I'm like, that I try to retain that joy. What makes me joy when I think of my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something that gives me joy. And it's a really simple thing. Um, my son and all his friends and all kids around the world go batshit crazy over bubbles. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. When I see bubbles, there's some, there's like a, a part of me, like, a, like, holy, this is, it's still a miracle. It's like every time I see a bubble, it makes me happy, right? And I think one of the things, like, to make a, a, a strange me- metaphor out of it, it's like the bubble's going to pop, but you're just going to have to blow another one. There's more of them, mm-hmm. right? I think to me, I'm going to have to recall those moments of the, like, you know, like, there's, there's these things, like these bubbles that I always get that I never lose a sense of awe over, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and they're fleeting. They're quick. They don't, there's no such thing as a bubble that lasts forever. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty is that you can blow more. You can have them float as far as you want them to float, right? Carried by whatever breeze or wind. I'd be outside by myself playing with bubbles. You don't even have to be there. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I keep coming back to that. Well, and they, 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 when you say, I love you to them, they, they accept that they, they don't question that when you say thank you to your child, when you say thank you for this experience or thank you for any of these things you just showed me where I was, I was not, I was not prepared to receive them and you gave them to me anyway. And you say, thank you. You see them process that in a different way. It's the, the thanking a child as a parent. Um, you know, I don't know how often that happened to me, um, but I've, I've, I've found ways um, when they give you something to, to say thank you. And I try to stay in that place as, as often as I can. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. We take whatever we can as parents. <laughs> well, here's here's to bubbles and and, and yeah. thank you for <laughs> for talking to me tonight. Uh, um, please. Uh, where, where's the best place for folks to get the new book? Well, I mean, if you can, you can order from any bookstore. Um, if you are in Columbus, you can get it at, uh, oh, the bookstore in Bexley. I just did a reading there. Gramercy. <laughs> Gramercy. At Gramercy you Books. There you go. Gramercy you just made books, Linda uh, Cass very happy. Yeah. Oh, Linda's phenomenal. Linda is phenomenal. Such a great event. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you for, for talking. No, thank you. And, and before we go, I wanted to thank uh, Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction and the band pagination uh, for all the music, the intros and outros. Iris, safe, safe travels and my best to you. Uh, we'll see you back in Central Ohio soon, I hope. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Thank you.
not far off. I told my children not far off, for you are the bodies we never bury, the victims and the guilty and the innocent caught and shot down by the police, their blood a river that never browns blue, faces consumed by the siblings of the life they had wanted, and children you will find yourselves in the same bullet lane of America, and though you know none of those bullets will come from me, there is little aiming in this world, and a whole lot of random and even more guns, and even more guns, and even more guns, and even more guns.